Good morning to you. It's a joy to be with you um, and to have the privilege of opening up God's Word. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that is probably turned to most of all on this, the first Sunday after Easter. It's a very familiar passage, but we do pray that God will give us an insight and understanding uh, as we look at it together. We're going to read, so please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 24. We're going to read from verse 13 down to the end of verse 32. It's the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So Luke 24, Luke writes, as directed by the Spirit of God, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since, this, since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And we pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. We tend to live life in something of a hurry, don't we? Uh, We hit the ground running first thing in the morning, and we probably don't stop until the last thing at the evening. And we're 
we're, we're tired. And uh, if you're like me, deadlines, well, certainly before I retired, used to dominate my days. And I, I had to work around these deadlines, and they were always so demanding. That's why we're always in a hurry. And you know, that impacts all of our lives, especially in the way in which we read our Bibles, because if we're in a hurry, we'll speed read the Scriptures. And speed reading the Scriptures means that we miss out on so much. We miss out on detail. I, I want to illustrate that to you. I want to show you a picture. I want you to look at it. I'm only going to show you for a moment. And I want you to then tell me what you see in the picture. So are you ready? Look at the picture. Tell me what you see. Okay, what have you seen in the picture? You saw two horses. You saw how many riders? One. Did you see anything else? Faces. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? If you look at it very closely, you'll see, well, I counted, I think it was at least eight faces. There's probably more if you allow your eyes to linger even a bit longer. So, all sorts of faces that, yes, I see one further down to, to the bottom right. Uh, you have to look very carefully to drink in the detail. Uh, and I am trustee of a, an organization in Scotland called Precept Ministries, in which we try to help folks to slow down and, as they read the Bible. And actually, we have a training day on the 15th of May in Kirkintilloch Baptist. I don't want to say any more about that. But if you're interested, if your quiet times, your chosen times are sometimes a little bit dry, or if you come to church and you think, how on earth did the pastor get all of that from the passage? Well, if you'd like a little help, I'd love to uh, invite you to come to our training. But come and see me if that's something that is of interest to you. So we're going to take some time to look fairly slowly at this beautiful passage in Luke 24. Luke was a doctor, and like most doctors, he was good at observing details. It's very important to be ob observant, to pick up on the little details, because the little details can be very, very significant. Well, what was going on? Well, let's just think again about the crucifixion. In the late afternoon, when the darkness lifted from Golgotha, and when the sun was full on him, Jesus cried out in triumph and breathed his last. But those who gathered around the cross didn't have any sense of, of his victory. As Christ hung motionless, the warm sun spread over his spilled blood. And those who had hoped in Jesus slowly trudged away from the scene, the icy fingers of death tightening around their hearts in chilling and numbing grief. Despairing hands prepared his cold body for burial and laid it on a tomb. And so deep was their despair that no one possessed even the slightest thought of the possibility of a resurrection. And when at the dawn of the third day the women found the tomb empty, they didn't know why. Nobody suspected a resurrection. It appears that they did not believe even after all the angels had announced that he had risen. And when Peter inspected the empty tomb, 
Instead of believing, he went away wondering, wondering. And meanwhile, the Lord's enemies resumed their money-making trade in the temple. The politicians got back to the business of exchanging truth for power. And for the religious establishment, it was business as usual. But for the followers of Jesus, the Passover marked the death of a long-awaited dream. And we find two disciples heading for a village called Emmaus, a little distanced from Jerusalem. One of them was called Cleopas. We read about a man called Cleopas. Um, near the cross of Jesus in John 19 stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. But you will notice that the spelling there is C-L-O-P-A-S. There's an E dropped out. And some scholars say that one of those comes from the Greek and one of those comes from the Hebrew, so whether they're the same person or not, I really don't know, and the Scripture doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that this couple were devastated as they walked to Emmaus. They were overcome with grief, and they said to each other, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But their hope had gone because Jesus had died on the cross. He'd been imprisoned by the Romans and they waited for him to exercise some power, but he didn't. And then they abused him. And they took him to Calvary and, and they couldn't understand why Jesus, who'd exercised such miraculous power in his lifetime, allowed these people to treat him so. And if we'd have been near the cross, when they took him, threw him on the ground and hammered spikes through his hands and feet, we would have heard him pray, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And we would have wondered, why was he allowing this to happen? He, the Son of God. So these two were disappointed and disillusioned, and they were utterly confused. Confusion reigned. Did God care? Of course God cares, because God always cares. God knows all things. He even knows our confusions. We read in Psalm 139, these wonderful words, You know when I sit, the psalmist says, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. The writer goes on to say, Every detail of our days is known to God. And almost certainly, there's somebody in the congregation this morning, and there's something's gone wrong in your life. And you know pain, disillusionment, and disappointment. And maybe you're wondering, though you've maybe not articulated it, because we're not very brave, but maybe you wonder, does God know? And if he knows, does he care? Does he know? Does he know? Of course God cares and we may feel insignificant and alone, but when we see the Lord Jesus drawing alongside this hurting couple and ministering very tenderly to them, we can take tremendous encouragement because Jesus came alongside 
And somehow they were kept from recognizing him. Some scholars would say that they were kept from recognizing Jesus because of something within them. We're not sure. But we know that things don't just happen without a reason in the Bible. So the question I want to pose this morning is why were they kept from recognizing him? You see, I think there's a really significant reason for that, which will be helpful to us to think about. Jesus came alongside, well, in Luke chapter 24, 17 and 18, we read these words. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. What's interesting to me is that their faces were downcast. They, they couldn't look up. Now, it has been said that what's in the heart is evident on the face. And so when you see somebody going around and they've got a miserable face, it's probably because they feel miserable inside. Because if there's joy in our hearts, then it tends to be reflected on our face. That's why Psalm 40 talks about um, being in the miry pit and the Lord lifting us up, setting our feet upon a rock, putting a song of joy in our mouths, many will see it and rejoice. Well, how do you see a song? You can hear a song. How do you see a song? Well, if there's a song in our hearts, it tends to be reflected in our faces. Well, here were these two, and they were so low that they were, faces were downcast. They couldn't look up because they were so low. They couldn't look up. And because they couldn't look up, they weren't praying. All they were doing was focusing on their disappointment. Luke employs, interestingly enough, a um, narrative device called literary irony in which the reader uh, has knowledge about the story that the characters in the story don't have. So uh, uh, irony jumps off the page, and uh, I just thought I'd put up a picture about irony just so you, it would remind you of what it is. Posting signs on windows or doors is prohibited. Irony, however, is to be encouraged. So there's irony here, and in fact, if this passage had been uh, read to the first century uh, listeners, they would have burst out into laughter. Now, Jesus, of course, understood it was the disciples who were clueless. They didn't understand. But wonderfully, our Lord Jesus wasn't put off by their lack of understanding. He said in verse 19, what things? What things have gone on? What things? And listen to how negative their response was. Uh, Verses 19 through 24, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't 
see Jesus. And they mentioned it was the third day since Jesus' death, forgetting what Jesus had taught them again and again and again. It's the third day since all this had all this took place. They went to the tomb, but they didn't find the body. They couldn't join up the dots. They hadn't really understood what Jesus was saying. So Cleopas let it all out. His confusion, his depression, his disillusionment, his shrinking faith, his anger. And did Jesus reject him? Of course not. Jesus very gently coaxed the couple to reveal their true thoughts, which were by and by, by and large, their doubts. And when they did so, he answered, you know, our Lord honors spiritual honesty. He invites honesty from his people. That's why the psalmist shouts to God sometimes, God, are you even awake? Do you know God? This is not to suggest that we're called to trumpet our doubts to those around, especially to the young and the uninformed, but he wants us to tell the truth because he knows it anyway. Now it has been said, and I think helpfully, that hope is a little bit like a window pane. It's clear enough, but you know, if you look at a window and your focus is just a little bit off, instead of looking through the window, all you see is yourself and what's behind you. So if your focus is a little bit off, all you can see is yourself and what's behind you. Well, Cleopas had a faulty perspective which prevented him from seeing what was right in front of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. What follows is an almost comical inability to assemble the clues and join up the dots and to arrive at the obvious conclusion. Cleopas recounted the main facts of the day. He said, in effect, the women found the tomb empty. The angel said the tomb is empty because Jesus is alive. And some other people verified that the tomb is empty, but I just can't figure out what happened. The challenge for Jesus became clear to adjust the disciples' perspective to help him see the true Messiah, his actual mission and real kingdom, and the real kingdom of God. And he began with a rebuke and then moved on to a rhetorical question. So we have confusion and then we have an explanation. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets? He explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. I wonder, have you ever heard um, the English word hermeneutics? It's a, it's a word that you hear in theology and it has to do with the principles of biblical interpretation. Well, the word hermeneutics we get from the English or from the Greek word up there for he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. Is it interesting we have two references in those verses to the scriptures. How foolish and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And why didn't they believe all that the prophets had spoken? Was it that they weren't familiar with all that the prophets had spoken? It could be. 
And he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to have been listening in to that sermon? I guess it was the most enthralling sermon ever preached. When Jesus took the Old Testament, opened it up and began to explain the meaning of those wonderful passages. Psalm 22, speaking the very words that Jesus spoke from the cross. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And all those passages in the Old Testament that pointed so clearly towards a coming Messiah. And the more Jesus opened the word, the more their hearts were thrilled. The stranger had established that suffering and death were not obstacles to Jesus being the Messiah. In fact, they made Jesus' claim to be the Messiah more credible and compelling. Because he explained to them from the scriptures that the real Messiah had to suffer. And their confusion and depression melted like frost in the warmth of the sun. The scriptures were alive to the couple as never before. And what grief they would have been spared if only they had known and believed God's word to begin with. And if we find ourselves hurting and despairing and do not find that the scriptures speak to our condition, it's not because the Bible has failed us. It is more likely because we don't know it well enough. We cannot be profound profoundly comforted by that which we do not know. We need to study our Bible with an eye to our Savior because everything to do with our salvation and our peace is yes in Christ Jesus. So in their confusion, Jesus drew alongside them and he gave them an explanation. So that was revelation, revelation. As the stranger explained the scriptures, they began to understand the necessity of the cross and the resurrection. And now they began to understand why the tomb was empty. I think that they were kept from recognizing Jesus so that their understanding of the resurrection would be based solely and squarely on the scriptures and not on experience. Memories play tricks with us, don't they? And how often our memories fade. At my age and stage, I have to say that my forgettery works really well, and yours probably does too. And sometimes my wife will make reference to a conversation that I've had with somebody, and I can't remember the conversation, whatever about the person. That's what happens. How kind the Lord was not to allow this simply to be based on their memories because our memories are so flawed. He was leading them to understand that the evidence for the resurrection was based fair square on the scriptures. They, their belief in the resurrection now rested on God's word and it was before they saw the Christ. How important it is that we engage with God's word. Verses 28 and 29, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. 
He made us, though, to go further. I think he wanted them to give an expression of their desire to hang out with him. And so they invited him in. They didn't want the explanation to stop. 3031, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Was it the act of breaking bread that impacted them? Or could it have been that they saw the wounds in his hands as he broke the bread? We don't know, for we're not told. But we do know that in that instant they recognized Jesus, and the irony is worth noting. They had been looking at the Lord for quite a while, but they didn't see him until they let go of their false expectations. And once their eyes were opened, once their perspective had changed, Jesus became invisible. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You see, the winter of their souls was gone forever. And so it is when the scriptures come alive in our souls with the centrality and reality of Christ. The great French philosopher Blaise Pascal must have been somewhere in the Emmaus latitudes on the memorable night of November 23rd, 1654, when he wrote in his journal the word fire to explain the most memorable spiritual experience of his life. This glowing word was followed with a hurried scribble, joy, 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 tears of joy. And then several inscriptions later, he'd written Jesus Christ, like the signature on a letter. How wonderful that in the very moment when these two folks had felt so abandoned by God, that the Lord Jesus Christ drew close. Do you know that he still does draw close? It's quite likely that there is somebody here this morning and something's happened in your life. Maybe there's been a bereavement or something has gone pear-shaped. Perhaps there's a redundancy. Perhaps family moving away. Whatever it is, it has led you to a place where you feel that God is very far away. But you know, it's in those times, those times when we are least aware of God, that he seems to draw closer than ever. And in those places where we don't want to be, that's when we learn really important things about Jesus. It has been said, when the bottom falls out of our world, then we discover for the very first time that underneath and round about are the everlasting arms. I want to finish just by making reference to a little verse in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. 
And it says, for what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And there's a little phrase that's repeated there, and it's this, according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures. And one of the things that is so terribly important for us is that we base our understanding of Christ, of Christianity, and of faith, not on what we see in the lives of others, but on what we discern from the Word of God. And truth be told, most of the difficulties we have are because we do not know this book as well as we ought to know this book. I can very honest and tell you that over the years I've met folks and they've told me, well, I'm going to make it my New Year resolution to, to read the Bible from cover to cover because I've never done it and I can't understand that. I can't understand that. This is a love letter from the heart of God. Everything we need to know for life is in this book. I don't mean to be legalistic, but I think we should read it from cover to cover once a year. It's not a big deal to do that. Because where do we meet Jesus? In the book. What's going to change us? Meeting Jesus. Is it not sense, common sense, to go meet him in the book? That's why I think that Jesus didn't reveal himself to those folks on the Emmaus Road, why they didn't recognize him, because he wanted them to understand that the evidence for the resurrection is best discovered in the Scriptures, not based on experience, because our memories are so flawed. So this morning, if you're walking a lonely road and if there's some darkness and you're wondering, is God anywhere near about, you need to know that he is there, perhaps closer than ever before. And if you go to his word, he will speak to you. However difficult the difficulties are, however enormous the roadblocks are in front of you, in his grace... He will show you the handholds so that you can climb up over them. Because he's promised he will never, ever let his children go. And if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know how wonderful he is. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Until you taste, you'll never know how good. I remember some years ago, I had the first mango I'd ever eaten in my life. Mango is a wonderful fruit. You have to eat it sitting in either a bath or the swimming pool. <laughs> because it's so full of juice. And if you were to ask me to describe what a mango is like, I would tell you, well, it's not like an orange. It's not quite like a peach either or an apricot. How do I describe it? Well, I can't really describe it to you because its taste is so unique. It's absolutely wonderful. But the only way you can understand how lovely a mango is is for you to eat a mango. And the only way for you to discover how wonderful Jesus is is for you to take a risk and discover actually it's no risk to ask Jesus to come into your heart and life. It's true it's all true. Let's pray together.
Father, we bless you and praise you for your grace and your mercy and your love. And we thank you for the resurrection and for the joy that those two on the Emmaus Road discovered and countless people have discovered down through the centuries that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be and his resurrection validated every claim that he ever made. Oh, we thank you that our God lives in the power of an endless life and he delights to give his life to those who follow him. And we pray that this morning that each of us might have that sense that our Lord is drawing close to us. Please, open our hearts to your truth and your truth to our hearts that we might live for you, for Jesus' sake. Amen.